Hello everyone and welcome to the latest dairy pod with me Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia farm team. Today on the podcast we'll be taking a look at the June 2020 situation and outlook report for the dairy industry. With the shadow of COVID-19 looming over the world, global markets including dairy have been more difficult than ever to analyse and forecast. Hopefully Dairy Australia's Industry Insights and Analysis Manager, John Droppert, will be able to shed some light on the factors that have driven a significant recovery in national milk production and also boosted dairy farmer confidence in many regions. John will also take a look at some of the market forces from around the globe that influence your farm gate milk price. Really pleased to have John Dropper joining us on the, this episode of Dairy Pod. Uh, John, we've just seen the release of the June uh, Situation and Outlook report from Dairy Australia, which is the fourth quarter report and also the one that includes the National Dairy Farmer Survey. So it's probably the, the largest one of the, of the four quarterly ones annually. What, what are the key things that are um, evident at this point? Well, really, the, the key theme at the moment really is the um, sort of separation between what's going on in the dairy industry in Australia with um, you know, real improvement in weather conditions, um, some, some really good pasture conditions across you know many parts of the country, not all, but many. Uh, feed prices are starting to come down. And we've seen milk production really rebounding since February um, in, in a way that nobody had expected a few months prior, and especially you know especially not before Christmas. Um, whereas at the same time, the report's you know, looking at the COVID-19 issue and, um, you know, it's a hard one to miss at the moment, the, the kind of disruption that's caused on a global level, uh, not just the dairy markets, but virtually all markets, um, and, and cast a real shadow over the outlook for, uh, for commodity prices going forward. Interesting, John, that uh, I guess we might uh, touch a bit more detail on the, on the milk output uh, nationally for the year. I, I know that you've said in this report it's about you know, you're projecting one, one or two percent decline on on last year, uh, but as you said, that's really bounced back in the last in the second half of the year. Um, what do you think are the key drivers for that? I, I think you mentioned the seasonal conditions in certain regions, and are there some regional specifics? I mean, when you when you delve into that a little bit deeper, I think there's some some regions are still significantly back on last year. Yeah, absolutely, and and the the recovery we've seen since February. Um, has been incredible and, and especially uh, uh, when you look at what the outlook was um, you know November December last year and uh, uh, even just before Christmas you know the the commentary around us running out of hay by March or April um, you know that's that's given way to some you know really good rainfall across most areas and uh, Gippsland and Tassie especially um, you know south and west Gippsland uh, and, and Tasmania saw a really early turnaround there in uh, milk production. You know, especially in Tassie, I think the last uh, the last month of numbers we have is up 11% uh, for April in in Tassie, and so just you know, knocking it out of the park there. And um, Gippsland as well, um, doing pretty well. But you know, Southwest Victoria also starting to pick up. South Australia, uh, as you head further north, um, you know, obviously parts of uh, New South Wales and you know, around Bega and such are, are still pretty dry. Um, further north again, you know, there's there's some real recovery uh, from drought that sort of has to has to happen before uh, we can start to see those sorts of numbers further north. And um, you know, into Queensland, I think still down, um, you know, down around 13% for the year to date. So um, you know, there's been some real challenges up there, and they certainly haven't gone away. Uh, but the rainfall since Christmas has helped uh, across the board, even though that has been fairly patchy. Yeah, and I guess something that people might be interested in is like, do you think that the probably really good weather conditions that we've had in places like Gibson and, and um, Tasmania, etc. over the last few months are 
creating a kind of a, a stay of execution for the, the overall trend or, or would you expect to see that trend kind of steady over the next year? Yeah, look, it is, uh, you know, it's tricky to say, but certainly the, you know, the milk prices we've seen announced in the last few, uh, last few weeks have, have given us a bit more insight on that as well. I mean, if we've got, you know, we're coming out of a, a record milk price year for a lot of farmers. Um, so far, I'd say, you know, conditions are set up extremely well for most of them and uh, and adding to that the cropping outlook as well. Uh, it looks like feed prices will continue to fall. Um, milk prices have of course come off since last season or since the season that we're uh, just about to finish but um, are still above long-term average levels and so uh, that cost pressure is definitely going to be there but I'd say the, the scenario is playing out uh, reasonably well compared to what we might have thought if we um, again looked you know before Christmas at our feed situation and even a couple of months ago at where dairy markets were heading and where the you know the, the some of the clouds around coronavirus i think uh, um, the, the situation for farmers has come out a lot better than what it could have so you know we're expecting at this point one to three percent growth next year at the national level um, there are certainly others out there that are expecting uh, you know a more bullish outcome than that so we're probably fairly conservative at this point in time um, in, in looking at that scenario but uh, and I think steady as she goes is a fairly um, a fairly solid place to start. You know, as I said, the challenges that are out there um, haven't gone away, especially in in the northern regions. Um, you know, we talk about the confidence in the National Dairy Farmer Survey, and confidence has recovered uh, fairly strongly. Uh, but again, there's a lot more uncertainty out there even since that survey was done in in March. So we're um, we're trying to treat it fairly conservatively at this point. It's interesting too. You talk about maybe a slight drop in in the milk price uh, for the next financial year compared to the last year, which was, of course, a record price, but it's still relatively high, you know, when you look at the long-term trends. Um, would you think that there's going to be a decline in feed prices due to this better weather that we've had over the last few months? I mean, that was another theme that seems to come through the report that you expect kind of um, feed, feed availability to be significantly greater over the next few months, and that will hopefully drive down some of those input prices. Yeah, that's certainly the expectation, and and it's not um, it's not kind of a we're not we're not mavericks in expecting that. As there is you know pretty common uh, expectation out there that feed prices will come off, and and you know you can see the amount of crop going in the ground, you know the the rainfall and the moisture levels um, right across you know, at least the eastern um, states cropping areas are are really setting us up for a a really good grain growing year, and um, and I think fodder's not far behind. So. Um, you know, I think farmers, it's fair to say a lot of farmers have been frustrated about how slow those prices have been to come off, um, uh, you know, especially wheat. I mean, barley's been, been knocked around by the, um, you know, by the trade situation. But um, whilst, it, you know, things haven't fallen as fast as what people would have liked, they certainly, um, they certainly have started to lose ground. And, you know, I'd be, be shocked if they didn't lose a lot more before, uh, you know, as, as we head up to what's going to be probably a pretty big harvest. And it's interesting you mentioned that um, that barley trade situation. You know, I suppose some people might be aware that there is some there was some disturbances in the in the international trading um, space with barley uh, in, in more, more recent times. Does that have a big impact on indirect even indirectly even on Australian dairy farmers, or how might that have an impact? I mean, the most direct impact um, in the shorter term one been for a lot of farmers, you know, swapping out wheat for barley or, or a mix of wheat and barley has been, you know, been something that's, that's suddenly stacked up um, economically. Um, you know, in, in a broader sense, it's obviously put the wind up people that 
um, you know, if this is the way politics is is going to be played in the near future, um, you know, obviously people become concerned that they, you know, they might be uh, their sector might be the next one that gets uh, caught up in this. Um, you know, we've even seen now, you know, we can, we've we've got beef on the list and uh, and barley on the list, and and now you know tourism and and international students mm-hmm. have, uh, you know, there's, there's been some sort of signals there as well. So um, that's probably the lo- the longer term or the you know the the less certain. Um, concern going forward, um, but uh, you know, but short term, obviously, cheaper barley has been a you know a pretty handy thing for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess you know, wheat and barley both excellent, um, excellent high energy sources of supplementary grain for for dairy cows. So, so a good opportunity there, I think, for for a lot of farmers if if that if that does present itself to them. Um, John, I guess it's worth touching on the the last few months worldwide have been pretty turbulent with. The whole COVID nineteen crisis, um, you know, um, how big an impact has that had on, on the trading situation and dairy trade internationally, and, and how might that affect its uh, affect dairy farmers in Australia? Well, it's really, um, you know, as you say, it's been a quite a dramatic and significant impact, and, and by its nature, nobody really saw it coming. So, um, you know, this this disruption, you know, creates uncertainty, and uncertainty is bad for business. Um, you know, when you're in a, in a commodity market, especially um, this this hit the northern hemisphere when they're in the middle of or in approaching their peak season, and and for um, for many parts of Europe and for the US as well, milk production was really starting to grow uh, because you know weather conditions were conducive, prices were conducive, um, and so there was a bit of momentum there that suddenly had to kind of hit a brick wall when uh, you know when a big chunk of demand, mostly the food service market, um, shut down virtually overnight. Uh, and what we tend to see coming out of those markets is, um, you know, if, if they've got product to move and, and large volumes of product to move, they tend to move it pretty cheap. So we have seen, um, you know, an uptick in competition out of both Europe and the US into, you know, some of our major export markets, um, and it's heavily price-based competition. So uh, that disruption there is kind of spilled into uh, where we're selling product, even though we're not um, at peak season ourselves. It's uh, it's become a bit of a uh, a bit of a roller coaster, especially in the U.S. We've seen, uh, as someone described it last week, uh, they they slammed the brakes on milk production in in you know late March and into April there, and we had cooperatives um, and processors more generally telling farmers to cut the amount of milk they are shipping by 20%, um, you know, or else. And uh, and and so we saw some pretty dramatic changes there made to feed rations and uh, cows being culled and other changes to try and really squeeze that amount of milk down. Um, whereas now the latest, uh, the latest indications are we've seen cheese sales pick up again as, uh, as, as restaurants have reopened or, or more specifically some of the fast food places have opened that use a lot more cheese, uh, takeaways and so forth. Uh, and so there's actually, you know, US cheese prices have sort of done the full, uh, the full V, you know, gone crashed overnight and then uh, have really soared again. And so there's some really mixed signals going on there. Um, for, for milk production, I think the USDA has recently revised upwards their milk uh, uh, milk price forecast for the states for uh, for this year. Um, certainly, still, you know, in the context of it being a downturn, but uh, but compared to the kind of cliff they fell off a month or two ago, um, it's you know it's pretty hard as a uh, to look at the uh, farming sector trying to make decisions not just for next month, but for the you know the remainder of the season and into next season to try and. Uh, work their way through those signals. So I think, uh, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I was pretty confident milk production in the US was 
slowing down quickly and that that would help balance out the market. But now it looks like, uh, um, you know, they're getting some more nuanced signals and we might actually start, we might actually keep seeing that milk flowing for a bit longer. Yeah, so just to have a bit more detail on this US milk, you know, and I'm no expert on it and, and you obviously are. So um, um, the US milk situation, like how big an impact does that have directly here for, for dairy farmers in Australia? As, as I understand it, the USA is, is most of the milk in the USA is produced, that, that is produced in the USA is consumed domestically, but they are such a big producer and a big competitor that a small increase can have a spillover effect on the world market. Uh, is that kind of, am I right in assuming that? And, and how big of an impact does that have in, uh, in, in terms of Australian farmers? Yeah, absolutely. They're, you know, they, they, produce, they produce 100 billion litres of milk, um, give or take a year. So obviously, you know, over 10 times the, the size of Australia. Um, most of it is, is soaked up domestically, but uh, what that means is that a small change either in production or in domestic demand um, suddenly creates a large volume of, of exportable surplus. Um, so, you know, you know, it's 12 to 15% normally that gets exported, but, uh, you know, if you have something mess up, uh, you know, the 65% that stays at home, then, you know, that, that as I said, creates a, a big volume of product to move. And they're, they're fairly, um, you know, in, in price terms, a very competitive, um, you know, manufacturer. And so, that's, you know, there's a reason why we have um, so much, um, you know, US cheese coming into into Australia for our, uh, you know, our fast food uh, businesses as well, and so that's where we start to see, um, you know, some of the competition. They've got big volumes of product. They've got to move it. Um, they're competitive on price, and so for those for those applications, be they in Australia or be they, uh, you know, overseas, um, in, in some of our markets, um, we see this immediate kind of impact of, uh, of price cutting and. Um, and, and some pretty stiff competition. Now they're not going to compete directly with, uh, you know, a natural Australian cheddar, um, you know, kind of product going to a really high-value application. You know, if you, that, uh, that that's kind of a different ball game. But you certainly, you know, if you're going into a price negotiation from Australia or New Zealand, and you're, you know, someone's seeing product for, um, you know, half the price coming out of the US, that gets, you know, that gets banged over your head. So that. Um, it's not a perfect substitution. It's not as easy for, for, for a lot of consumers to change as, as what they might like it to be. Um, but some really serious pressure there from, from low-priced uh, US product that, uh, that hasn't got a home all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. And um, of course, another big kind of international competitor, John, would be New Zealand. And they've, they've been dealing with some pretty tough seasonal conditions over the last few months there. And probably, you know, that's had a... a you know, a softening effect on the output from New Zealand over the last few months. Um, uh, is, is that, does that have a bigger impact than the US situation on, on Australia internationally? Yeah, I think uh, it certainly has helped, um, I should say, uh, you know, over the first half of this year, the fact that New Zealand was down for a couple of months there year on year. But um, the biggest impact they'll have will be in the spring. And I think that's where some of the concern lies around uh, um, you know, if we if we don't see the northern hemisphere slow down as much, um, you know, if we if we do see um, a big boost in New Zealand through their spring peak, um, and and you know, throw in a bit more uh, or an extended shutdown or a sluggish economy or you know some of these COVID or post-COVID issues, uh, that's when they'll really start to have an impact. It's really um, you know, in, in spring, it's is New Zealand having a big year that that sort of you know in, impacts the market. 
um, and then you know there's a bit of a shoulder period sort of after Christmas where if they you know they're if they're playing the drought card, you know whether that sort of helps pick markets up in the new new calendar year. Um, and yeah, we had we had one of those this year. Whether we have the uh, you know the spring flush um, messing things up, that'll be the next key point where New Zealand starts to play with us. We've seen you know the recent price announcements over the last over the last few weeks. Um, you know, they're obviously they're a little bit down on what the milk prices was the previous year, but I guess it's a difficult question for you to answer. Um, but how how do you see the outlook over the next twelve months? You know, analysts always say this, but I mean, the the, the key key factor at the moment is the level of uncertainty that's out there. Uh, we, I think, for a lot of people, I mean, obviously, you know, we we always want the milk price to be higher rather than lower, but for a lot of people, it's fair to say these um, prices are. Um, are above expectations, um, certainly above some of the expectations we saw out there in the in the weeks and months prior to the announcements. Um, and I think that's a factor of, uh, of how competitive you know the the ex farm gate market is um, in, in Australia at the moment. So we're seeing fairly aggressive pricing um, in relative terms, and so that means that uh, you know prices are being set fairly high despite a lot of risk out there in the market and. Uh, and I think that risk is is the key factor looking through spring, whether we see um, whether we see the you know the virus reemerge in a big way, um, whether we see a big season in New Zealand. I think there's a lot of things out there that really have the potential to upset the apple cart uh, for dairy markets because we've seen some impact so far. But um, you know those those uh, pessimistic predictions for milk price weren't really based on what had happened to date. They were really based on uh, what was expected to happen, and so you know what what was expected to happen is is quite still is is still quite possible. Um, you know, with the you know the mandatory code being in place, obviously um, there's a little bit more certainty for farmers for the balance of the season that uh, you know chances are they they're, they're going to continue to receive the price that's being announced to them. But uh, um, you know, if I was a betting person, I'd say there's probably not a whole lot of upside out there from the you know the prices that we've we've kind of landed at now. I think. Uh, um, the the rest is going to be uh, um, downside risk for, for for processes that are buying that milk, um, you know, with uh, you know, potentially a bit of pain for them. But uh, I, I'd say there's not a whole lot of upside out there in the market at the moment beyond what we've we've just had announced. We're going back a little bit here, but you mentioned earlier about the one to three percent kind of increase in milk production next year as a kind of a conservative prediction that you're looking at. Do you see that? Being regions, but across the board regionally, or do you see some regions still falling and others growing more than that to come up with that overall projection? Or, or, or how, how would you see that playing out? Yeah, it tends to be. Um, yeah, it tends to vary across regions, just just by the nature of you know Australia and how there's um, you know how the, how the weather plays out and, uh, and and the different dynamics between the domestic and the and the export focused regions. I mean, our our expectation going into this was that. You know, areas like Gippsland and, and, and Tassie that have really um, seen a bit of a growth spurt um, late in this season, um, you know, might, might start to top out a bit. Um, you know, we've, we've heard other opinions on that even in the last few days that, that there is a bit more momentum there. But uh, um, we, we were sort of expecting things to slow down a little bit there. And um, some parts like the southwest and into South Australia where there's been a bit more caution this season, um, you know, of course, there's been exits, but there's also been a lot of farms you know, running lower stocking rates and lower feeding um, rates as a result of you know getting burnt the season before on on feed prices. Um, uh, we we see we do see some potential for for growth there and, and also a rebound 
um, in in northern Victoria with you know again cheaper feed and if we saw um, some real movement on water that would that would certainly help that region. It has a history of um, of really bouncing back when when things get going again. Again, you know farms that exited aren't coming back and that that continues to put a handbrake on things. But uh, but those that have cut uh, cut things do um, do tend to rebound. The domestic focus regions I mentioned, you know, the, the challenges um, the challenges are still pretty real there, and I think you know they'll be the first to tell you that some of those are long-term challenges as well, not just around you know whether it rains or not. And so, um, you know, Queensland, um, parts of New South Wales, um, and in WA for different reasons, um, we'd expect stability is probably a, um, a pretty good outcome there for for those farmers and. Um, you know, a lot of them are, you know, are facing challenges, be they weather-related or market-related, that um, you know don't suggest there's a huge amount of growth around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, something that I also was interested in reading the report was um, an unusual kind of trend due to COVID, where there was a big spike in domestic um, uh, product consumption or domestic buying. I guess perhaps partly related to all the panic buying that went on there for a few weeks, but. Do you see uh, that having much of an impact? It was a kind of an interesting quirk that happened over the last quarter. That um, you know, how, how much of a would you read much into that? Or um, you know, you can sort of approach that on a on a few levels. I mean, you know, on a marketing level, it's it's great because it shows that people, you know, when the going gets tough, people go for dairy products. Um, that's that's probably not something to be underestimated. Um, um, it's. Uh, as you say, it was a fairly short-term thing. The, the panic buying itself. I mean, if we if we had another uh, another resurgence in in you know virus infections, we we might get another spurt on uh, on the panic buying. But we'd also get you know another set of restrictions on the food service side of things. Probably the bigger impact going forward is really going to be around um, uh, that you know impact on that premium market versus you know the low cost applications. We've heard processes telling us things like. Um, um, you know, consumers taking blocks of cheese and, 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 you know, slicing the block of cheese rather than buying the pre-sliced, uh, pre-packed uh, product that's, that sells for a much, much higher per kilo price that feeds into that convenience story. And, um, and so there is likely to be some erosion in the, uh, um, you know, in the, in the per kilo price and the, and the premium market, premium end of things as consumers um, either have got more time on their hands to be cutting cheese or they're feeling poor enough that they have to dedicate time to cutting cheese, um, and I think that'll, you know, that's going to flow through to not just the cheese market but other other dairy things as well. Um, even even in food service, where people might, uh, you know, might have to settle for that uh, pizza or McDonald's date rather than going out to the fancy restaurant. Um, yep. So I think, uh, yeah, we'll 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 start to see probably more of a more of a negative effect, um, yeah, as as time goes on, rather than those kind of panic buying surges. Uh, on, a, on an overall basis, though, John, you know, year on year, I would a big kind of steady rise, or is it pretty steady? Is it flat in terms of domestic consumption of dairy products, or how is that overall trend looking? Uh, in general, over the last five or ten years, um, you know, dairy consumption has tended to track population growth, um, plus a little bit for a few years, um, and and that's something that we, we you know, we always quick to point out is is quite a contrast to a lot of Western markets where you know dairy consumption, particularly uh, white milk consumption, is you know is falling off a cliff in per capita terms. Um, you know the US being a being a huge one. You know, they've got one of the biggest um, liquid milk marketing kind of campaigns in history with with Got Milk, um, and uh, and still people just aren't aren't buying as much white milk as they used to. Um, in Australia, that tends to be different. 
um, and we've we've put that down to you know coffee culture to some extent. Um, but uh, but in general, consumers just keep buying dairy on a per capita basis. The real story that we had going uh, leading into this uh, was was that they were paying more for their dairy. So you know not just the private label milk selling at a higher price, but also um, you know buying the, the fancier cheeses or you know buying more flavoured milk instead of soft drink. Um, you know buying the premium yogurts. Um, and, and all those kinds of things that were really um, that were really adding value to uh, to the dairy cabinet. So you know, selling the same amount of milk but getting a higher per kilo price for it. All right. Um, no, thanks very much, John. I think that was a really interesting summary and a good uh, good overall overview of uh, what's going on and pro- probably a pretty unique time at the moment. So thank you very much for for your thoughts. Oh, pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to John Dropper for sharing his usual wisdom and wit. If you want to read more about the latest situation and outlook report, go to dairyaustralia.com.au. That's it for this episode. As always, you can find other Dairy Pod episodes on SoundCloud or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening and bye for now.